I'm Kim Singletary. And I'm Rich Collins with Biz New Orleans Magazine. Welcome to Biz Talks. Each week, we reach beyond the pages of Biz New Orleans Magazine to bring you in-depth conversations with members of the business community. From the names everyone knows to the ones destined to make their mark, we'll dive into the top issues, best practices, successes, and failures of every industry that calls Southeast Louisiana home. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Biz Talks. This is Kim Singletary. I'm the managing editor of Biz New Orleans Magazine. And today we're going to be talking about leadership. Everyone wants their company to be more successful, um, and my, but my guest today says that key to that lies in leadership, in being a better leader, which makes sense, but what does that mean? Um, Dr. Michelle K. Johnston is the Gaston Chair of Business at Loyola University, New Orleans' College of Business. She has been an executive coach for 20 years and was named um, to the prestigious 100 Coaches Group which consists of the top executive coaches around the world. She has her PhD in communication from Louisiana State University and in her new book, which is out, came out in February, is called The Seismic Shift in Leadership. So she shares what she has learned in her years as an executive coach, including examining the leadership styles of locals like Drew Brees, Times Picayune's John Georges, Loyola University New Orleans President Tanya Tetlow, and Raising Cane's founder and CEO Todd Graves. Welcome, Michelle. Oh, thank you so much, Kim. Thanks for having me. Um, so there's a lot of books out there on leadership, and I'm sure people listening to this have probably even read a few of them, <laughs> at least. Um, but you're saying there's been a seismic shift. What, what do you mean by that? Yeah, that's exactly why I think this topic is really important. Um, we're, we're not going back to the days of command and control. So that particular leadership style, which was in vogue for years, is one that uh, somebody who leads with power, right? And, and inadvertently, it wasn't intentional, but inadvertently, those types of leaders ended up creating cultures of fear. So then you fast forward the pandemic the great resignation, we're not putting the toothpaste back in the tube. It's a whole new world of work. And so leaders now really need to focus on extraordinary connection. And especially in this hybrid working environment, they have to intentionally, deliberately make time to connect with their per with their people um, so that they can their people can bring their full selves to work. I mean, Kim, I, you have a four-month-old. This is a perfect example of we have to celebrate the fact that we've now been in each other's homes and we've seen and heard the children and the dogs. That We can't pretend that didn't happen. It, we can't you know, put up a wall and say, oh, I'm now going to bring my professional self to work. That doesn't work. So making those connections. So do you kind of break that down? What does that mean? Um, how do people, I mean, I'm sure they're, you know, a good boss will be trying to make connections, but what, how do they actually do yeah. that? Yeah, it's really hard. And connection is such a nebulous concept, right? Some leaders are like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm great at connection. And then if we polled their employees, they'd say, my leader doesn't even know me, right? So what does connection mean? That's a great question, Kim. So what I have found is that connection to be a really successful leader, you need to be connected at three levels. And the most important is the foundational level, which is connection with yourself. So that old style that I was referring to, that command and control, it was this very authoritarian style. And a lot of people 
pretended or tried to act like that. And it wasn't genuine. And I call it the mask of perfection. So they would go into the office with this mask of perfection, acting like what they think a leader should be and exerting probably a little bit too much power and control. And so if you're truly connected with yourself and you own your story and you're comfortable in your own skin and you've done, a, you know, you're self-aware, you've done a lot of assessments, you know what your strengths are, what your blind spots are, then you bring your authentic self as a leader and that's connection with self and that's imperative in order to then get to that second level of connection, which is connection with your team. So your team really only trusts you when they know that you're real. Your team really only trusts you when you show that you care about them and you care about their baby and you care about the fact or you notice you don't try to pretend um, that stuff isn't going on in their personal lives. Right. It, it's accepting of the whole person. So what are some examples? What's what's some like, I guess, some good practices and some maybe mistakes, worse mistakes that people make? Because I'm sure everybody hopefully is trying to be a good leader, a good boss, but maybe in doing so they do stuff that is not serving them. Right, exactly. And so in this hybrid work environment, what we're hearing is that employees like it because of the flexibility. However, we're really becoming even more disconnected because the collaboration is tough when it's all on Zoom or on Teams. So what I'm advocating is in the beginning of your team meetings, begin with a personal question. I mean, it, it could be related to what you all are working on. So maybe you're the leader who's really trying to push your team to be innovative. And you could say, okay, in order to be innovative, we've got to be okay making mistakes and taking risks. So let's go ahead and begin today's meeting with what's the biggest mistake you've ever made. Those types of things that you really need to be intentional and, and embed that time for connection, because once you have that connection on a personal level, then you have the collaboration of productivity. I'll give you a great example. So I was able to, so Drew Brees is profiled in my book. And as, as a New Orleanian, I always thought that he was an incredible leader. And then when I spoke to people who were led by him, like Josh McCowan, his longest serving backup quarterback, then I really really learned what Drew did that was different. And what he did is he really showed that he cared about his people. He considered himself a servant leader. He's like, I know it feels like it's all about me, but it's not. This is about you. And in the very beginning of every training season, he had a notebook and he took his whole offense. And he said, I want to know your personal goals and I want to know your professional goals. Let me tell you mine personally. Here's what I want to work on as a husband, as a father. Please help me professionally, here's what I work, want to work on this year. Please help me. And then he went around in his notebook. And no matter if there was a guy on the offense that was on the practice squad or that Drew knew he was going to be cut the next day, likely not on the team, it didn't matter. He treated them all the same and said, we are in this together. I care about you. So what about boundaries? Like you said, I mean, we're all in each other's homes now and we're seeing all this stuff. Maybe as a boss, you might be a little nervous as like, you know, what are the boundaries there? What can I ask? What, you know, I don't want to be too, you know, personal, but I want to show that I care. How, how do you negotiate those things? 
That's a great question. And a lot of leaders are fearful of that. And they'll tell me, I, I coach about 15 executives right now. And some of them are like, Michelle, I don't want to know everything about their personal lives. I need results. I need them to increase revenue by 30%. How am I going to do that? And I said, okay, here's how you do that. If you want and you need collaboration with your team in order to increase revenue by 30%, then again, you've got to build in time so that they can collaborate. I'll give you an example. There are some teams right now who just have decided that they're not gonna go into the office. So what the leaders are, are doing is they're saying, okay, but once a month, we're gonna all go out to dinner and celebrate the birthdays in that month so that we have time together on a personal level celebrating so that we can connect. And then you're more likely to get the results you need. You gotta, you gotta give these um, your employees space and time to connect. I really think there's going to be many more offsites. So if you're in a company that is primarily working from home, then you as a leader will probably need to schedule once a quarter, an offsite, you know, go away to um, to a meeting room, a hotel, a conference room, so that you all can be in one place together and really work and collaborate. That's what I mean about meaningful connection. That's actually what we're doing as a company. We've gone completely remote, and and yeah, we're missing some of those connections. I do get ten billion text messages a day and things like that. So we're connecting in a way, but it's not really the same. So. It is still good to have that, you know, and we, we do some happy hours and things like that on our own our, with our own little teams. But uh, those are exactly the types of things I'm talking about. You'll love this, Kim. So um, one of the leaders I coach, I said, OK, I always ask the question on our coaching calls. So what are you doing to meaningfully connect with your people? And she said, you know, Michelle, she goes, now we begin our team meetings with happy crappy. <laughs> What do you mean, happy crappy? She said, I started off asking them, which a lot of leaders do, you know, on a scale of one to 10, how are you doing personally? How are you doing professionally? And she said, that got so old. We just say happy crappy. Tell me one thing happy. Tell me one thing crappy. And, and that's just it. That's how we begin together. And, and so going back to your question, Kim, of boundaries, I'm not asking leaders to be therapists at all. I'm just asking them to show interest and, and in the people that they lead, it shouldn't just be all, it, it, not that it shouldn't, it really can't anymore, just all be about, I'm going to show up on Zoom as a leader. What did you accomplish? What are the goals? Okay, meeting over. You're not going to get what you want if that's the way that you lead. So how does that translate into financial success for these companies? Yeah, so we conducted a study and we wanted to look at if a leader created an environment where people felt listened to, and that's even harder now at hybrid in this hybrid work environment. But if a leader can create what we call a positive team listening environment where people feel like they can um, add their input, that their contributions are valuable, that their leader listens to them and takes what their, you know, their opinions into consideration. We did collect data and we linked it to higher financial performance. Um, and it's, that's what we're talking about. It's creating these environments so that people can feel safe so that they want to collaborate with one another because they feel connected with one another. So if they feel psychologically safe, if they feel connected with one another, then they're going to make the, the decisions that are needed. They're going to be productive and they're going to be able to move the company to the financial results that are needed. So what was the process like putting together this book? How long did it take? You talked to, I mean, I listed out some pretty big high-level leaders in the area. How long did this take and, and what was the process? 
Yeah, it took four years and um, a lot longer than I anticipated, but that's because of the pandemic. And I'm grateful I had finished the entire manuscript and was about to send it off. And here, you know, my, my whole thesis of the book is about right now leaders need to figure out how to meaningfully connect with their employees if they want to be effective. So I'm about to send it off to the publisher, Advantage, which is a Forbes subsidiary, and the whole world shut down in 2020. So I held on to the manuscript and I emailed the publisher and said, I am so sorry, I'm going to miss the deadline. I didn't realize I would miss my deadline by two years, but I said, I'm going to miss the deadline because I've got to go back and interview the leaders again and figure out how they connect when the whole world is disconnected. And I'm again, so grateful that I did that because then I went back and talked with Todd Graves of Raising Canes and, and found what he was doing. It was incredible. All the formality that he used to have because he's brilliant with social media and he would make these videos. He said, it is all just on demand every morning. I'm holding up my phone saying, you know, blasting out messages to the employees, um, telling them that we're not going to do layoffs. We're going to get through this. He said on my business cards, Michelle, he goes, ever since I, I began raising canes outside the gates of LSU, he said, everyone's business card, whether you're the founder, the CEO, the COO, or if you're working in a fast food restaurant, it says cashier and fry cook. He said, because I didn't want anybody to feel above anybody else. That's the product we deliver. You need to be able to be a cashier and a fry cook. And he said during the pandemic, they had a real problem, as many companies did, finding the talent. And their revenues increased. They did not decrease. And they decided to bring all the corporate people they had into the restaurants to serve as cashiers and fry cooks. So it ended up coming full circle, his mission when he founded the company, which is pretty cool. So yeah, so Kim, I went back and I interviewed the leaders again. I said, okay, now everyone's working from home. We're totally disconnected. What are you doing? And so I think that's why this book is enjoying, again, I'm so grateful. It's enjoying a lot of success um, because the topic is timely, because we're all trying to figure out what it takes. And it takes right now embedded connection in your daily rhythm in order to, to be successful. So is that what's going on with the great resignation? Is I, I know there's a lot of talk about pay and stuff, but it's about more than pay, right? Oh, absolutely. What we have heard is number one, the employees want flexibility. They've now, and they want comfort. They now have been in their comfortable clothes, able to put gumbo on the stove, do a load of laundry, walk the dog, see their kids at breakfast and maybe even dinner, maybe even pick them up from carpool. So that's number one. The employees really like that for sure. So there are some employees that end up leaving for higher pay, but what the research has told us is the employees who are, what was 4.5 million just in the month of November of Americans who left voluntarily, they said, I want more. I want to be seen. I want to be heard. I want to be valued. I want to work for a company that, um, that has purpose. I want to feel good and appreciated about what I do. They had a real awake, reawakening about their values and, and what they wanted out of their careers. And so that's all about culture and, and environment. And so if there's one thing that I've learned through all of this is that leadership is hard. It is hard and it, it's almost harder However, it's much more rewarding because now you're able as a leader to say, what do you all want? You know, what do you want to get out of this project? Let me see, let me share with you how you fit into our overall goals. You know, I appreciate you. I value you. It, people want positive work cultures. 
So I think there's, it's one thing to kind of say that, and then there's another thing to kind of walk the walk. Um, are you saying there's sometimes a disconnect with people saying, okay, I know I, I need to say, I value you. I need to say, you know, I need to say these things, but is, is there kind of a, a gap, I guess? And what are some kind of actionable things you, you said you had mentioned, like, you know, having, um, having get togethers, you know, starting a meeting with a question, things like that. What are maybe a couple more actionable things that people can do? Yeah, I'll give you an example of what what not to do. And um, this was a leader who got pushed out a number of years ago of a big organization. And it was the straw that broke the camel's back is that there was a hurricane and his team consisted primarily of moms with young children. And so the his team, the moms were without power and their kids were not in school for an entire week. And a lot of them were displaced. You and I both know what it's like to go through a hurricane, right? You're displaced. And if you're not displaced, you have no electricity. Right. And this boss said that didn't matter that they, he rented a room in a hotel and they were supposed to show up for work every single day. That is an example of just not getting it. Right. Wow. That's an example of just not of, of totally being disconnected with the people that you're trying to lead. And so after that, there seriously, there was a revolution and those employees said enough. We're either quitting or he or she has to go. And thankfully, the CEO made the right decision and um, did an early retirement for this leader. That's disconnection. That doesn't work. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I can see that. Um, so COVID-19, what, what were some of the good leaders doing? You said, you know, making those connections and switching over when we're, you know, there's some things that can't, you can't go digital though. You cannot, you're in person. And it was surprising actually to hear about, you know, with raising canes and stuff, because some of those kind of essential workers and stuff, there's not an option for them to be home. And there's only so much I'm assuming as a leader that you can do to accommodate their needs. Oh, it's been tough. It has been tough. I coach a lot of hospital executives and you're absolutely right. You know, their nurses and doctors could not go home and, and didn't have this luxury. And they were on the front lines of COVID. I mean, talk about burnout and mental health. It's been really, really challenging. And so what these leaders are trying to do is just to have one of them um, said, please just come over to my house. I'm going to do a cookout for you on a Friday night. Another one said, we're going to have a pickleball tournament. And, and I'm going to get, if they could, give every, everybody in their division off. Um, and they would rotate it because people had to be in the hospital. And they would do a pickleball tournament just to add a little bit of playfulness, right? Some, some levity. Um, you had to really find moments of extraordinary connection because it is incredibly hard right now. I mean, I'm hearing about another variant right out there, which is quite alarming. Um, you know, Tanya Tetlow, I interviewed her. She's profiled in my book. I happen to teach at Loyola and she's the president of Loyola. She just took um, a new position. She's going to be the president of Fordham starting right. in the fall. She was an she was an incredible leader during a crisis. And what she did is most presidents have a communication person write their communication pieces. And it sounds very formal from the president of Loyola, the desk of, you know, President Tanya Tetlow. She didn't. And her letters were beautiful, her email messages to the parents, to the students, to the faculty. And she ended up 
not necessarily recording them, but publishing them. And she probably should write a book because parents would write her every week and saying, thank you so much for taking the time and writing in your own voice and showing empathy and showing that you care every week and giving us updates. That Those are the types of things, particularly during the pandemic, you had to communicate, 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 and over-communicate just to calm people down and, and give the relevant, relevant information. I also went back and, and re-interviewed Warner Thomas, the CEO of, of Auctioner. And he said they had morning huddles, they had evening huddles, they had video messages every afternoon that went out to the, they have almost, what, 35,000 employees now. I mean, every single day they were communicating. And that that's what we've learned, how you have to do it during a crisis. Humans assume the worst. So if, if employees don't hear from their leaders, they, they assume I'm getting fired, everybody's getting laid off, the company's going under, but the more you communicate, right, the better it is. Yeah, we tend to fill in those gaps in a not so positive way. <laughs> that the truth, I wish to goodness, you know, I, I have a saying, you know, assume positive intent, please, please just assume positive intent. Yet it's really hard because if a leader, if you text a leader and say, um, hey, I just wanted to know if you received, you know, the report, um, let me know, and your leader never responds, you immediately think your work is shoddy and they don't like it. Right. Yeah. Because there's that lack of information. So I'm constantly um, coaching my leaders to I have a saying to to respond is to be kind. And it's after Brene's Brown saying to be clear is to be kind. I tell my leaders just respond, because if you don't respond, your people, no matter how wonderful you are, they assume the worst. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you talk about these three essential elements of connection and and. Um, authenticity and connectivity and alignment. We haven't really talked about what's, what is alignment? I'm so glad you mentioned that because you're right. So I, I had mentioned that the foundational level of connection is connection with yourself, right? Being really comfortable in your own skin so that you come across as an authentic leader. And then you can successfully connect with your team because then they trust you. And then at that level of connection with your team to be successful, we need leaders to show compassion, which is a lot of what you and I have been talking about, Kim. Now, the, the top level, I call it the connection with the organization. And what's vital to have connection with the organization is alignment. So you need to, your values need to be aligned with the organization. That was another thing we found with the research and the great resignation. Some of the employees were saying, I can no longer work for a company that I don't believe in. That, that my values are not the values of this company. And, and it ends up creating cognitive dissonance. And if you can leave, like a lot of people did during the pandemic, you will ultimately, if your values aren't aligned, I'll give you a, you'll appreciate this. I'll give you a story of, val of, of disconnection at this level. So I interviewed Jim Mora and his father was the coach of the New Orleans Saints. And so the son was an assistant coach of the Saints for a short amount of time. And then he went on to coach the Atlanta Falcons, the Seattle Seahawks and UCLA. I was able to interview him when he was on ESPN Sports Center. He now is the head coach at the University of Connecticut. So during our interviews, I was going through this model and showing him on a piece of paper. And at the very end of the interview, I said, so, Jim, do you believe in my theory of connection? He goes, believe in it? He said, disconnected leaders fail. And I said, yes, they do. He goes, you want to know an example? I said, yes, I do. He said, 
I was fired from the Atlanta Falcons because what I let my guard down on a radio talk show in Seattle where I was from and I played football at the University of Washington. And he said, our football team, the Atlanta Falcons, they were playing in Monday night football. So I had the Saturday, I flew up to Seattle. I was on my best friend's radio show. We were having a great time, just chatting it up, laughing. And at the very end of the radio show, my best friend, the host said, Jim, if the University of Washington's football coach position becomes available, would you want it? And Jim said, Michelle, I totally I, I had lost connection with the organization that I was representing, the Atlanta Falcons. In that moment, I was so focused on the here and now. And I said, are you kidding me? That's my dream job. The University of Washington, that's my dream job. He said, Michelle, by the time the wheels touched down in Atlanta, the owners were on the telephone with me. They told me I had to march into the locker room, that the team had already lost trust in me. He said, I walked in and these players that I had recruited, that I had drafted, that we were so close. He said, you could just feel the disconnection. He said, I lost my job. He wow. said, Dis disconnected leaders fail. Wow. Um, okay. So how do we, this book just came out what, February 22nd, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. So in this book too, people are going to find, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of these people that you've talked to is Drew Brees and John George's and um, and they're going to find some some real advice on on how to do these things, how to be more connected, how to be more authentic. Um, so how do we get this book? <laughs> oh, awesome. Yes, it's finally I've it's I've had a, um, a wonderful problem to have is we haven't been able to keep it in stock on Amazon, but it finally is on in stock on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target, wherever books are found. And you can go to my website, michellekjohnston.com. And I just I, I just feel so fortunate that I'm able to get this message out. What I'm trying to do is to make sure that leaders are equipped and, you know, with the skills necessary to succeed in 2022, because the world has changed, as, as you and I both know, and it, and it just takes a different style to be successful, and it takes a lot of connection. So another question just came to mind. We um, were just putting together our women's issue for our May issue coming up. When you talk about this leadership style, to me, this is kind of more of a, a feminine leadership style. This isn't a come in, slam your fist on the table and you got to do this. And um, is, is that what you're seeing? Are like women leaders better at this? <laughs> yeah, I I agree with you, Kim. It went, went, so after I conducted the 18 interviews and transcribed all of the data and I was asking for stories of connection and disconnection at each level, right? Connection with yourself, with your team, your organization. So I had all this incredible data, transcribed all the data and then did a content analysis to figure out what are the themes? What does it take? And when the themes have merged, like there's a chapter, give up perfection. There's a chapter, show care and compassion for the whole person. There's a chapter, listen first to lead. There's a chapter, build a positive culture. And, and yes, it, it occurred to me that finally, I feel like women are now given permission to lead with some of their strengths. I'm not saying that every woman is empathetic and every woman is compassionate, but oftentimes these come a little bit more easily for us. 
And at least me in the business classroom, I tried to act like a man for years. And I tried to stuff down my maternal and supportive style because I didn't think that was going to be effective. I thought I had to be hard charging and all powerful, you know, and then I finally was like, wait, that wasn't me. If I can just show my strengths. Um, and it ended up working a whole lot better. So yeah, I agree with you for women out there. This is a beautiful message to lead more with compassion and empathy. And that's going to serve you well. Well, that's good news. Well, I really appreciate it, Michelle. This has been super fun. And I, I, hope, uh, I, yeah, I'm very interested. So again, the book is called The Seismic Shift in Leadership. And this is Michelle Johnston that has been joining us today over at Loyola. So it's fun to have, a, you, we do, we get pitched with a lot of these leadership type of books, but this one is really has a real local bent to it. And these are people that you've talked to that we all know and that we, you know, admire and so I think this is really fun and a great one that everybody needs to go out there and grab. So the oh, size thank of you, leadership, yes, thank you. I appreciate thank it. You so much. And the last thing, I never would have thought that I would have dedicated my first book that I wrote to the city of New Orleans. Um, but I did. <laughs> I dedicated it to the city of New Orleans where you don't have to be perfect. And I just, I just, you know, because that's so much about what my research showed is give up perfection and we're all going to be good. Right. So thank you again. No, I really appreciate it. I think we're we're definitely feeling that nobody's feeling perfect at this moment. No, and that's OK. And that's OK. I promise. I, I, I hope to get to meet your baby one day. Good oh, luck. dear. Yeah, she's been quiet. My co-host has been silent. She's chewing on me. So <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. And I know just try to just enjoy those moments. That's just beautiful. Uh, yes. Well, we are <laughs> We're doing the best we can. Yep. Thank you so much. Um, again, this has been another episode of Biz Talks. Um, check us out online, bizneworleans.com. Thanks so much, Michelle. Thanks, Kim. Y'all have a great day. Thanks so you much. Too. Thanks for listening to another episode of Biz Talks. If you like what you hear each week, don't forget to rate us and leave a comment wherever you listen to your podcasts. And follow us on social media at Biz New Orleans. For more information or to contact us, please visit bizneworleans.com slash biztalks.